time this week's Manga Mavericks at Movies. We're going back into the vaults and tapping into the episodes that we did over the summer that I never got around to releasing. And with the Ancient Magus' ride just released, I think it's a good time to finally share our thoughts on the theatrical screening of Episodes 1 through 3 Crunchyroll did back in July as part of their Anime Movie Night series. Spoiler, it was good. In addition to that, because if we were just to put that segment on, it would only be a half-hour podcast, I'm also going to attach our discussion of Loop on the Third, Goemon Ishikawa's Spray of Blood, because it was one of the only things I could think to pair up with this video. I would have chose Kabaneri, because we also saw that in theaters, and that's also part of the Crunchyroll Anime Movie Night series, but we also recorded that alongside, like, two other movie discussions, and it's all, like, one recording and I didn't want to break it up because it would just make the editing of those other two discussions weird. So that's what you're getting this week. A discussion of the Ancient Magus's Bride and Loop on the Third, Going on Ishikawa Spray of Blood. Both really great. Hope you enjoy these discussions. <laughs> This is Manga Mavericks at Movies, the show where we talk smack about movies. Even though this isn't a movie. And yeah, technically it's not a movie. It's just three episodes of a TV series strung together, and they're not even that, like, related necessarily. Yeah. It's not like it's three episode arcs, just three standalone episodes. Crunchyroll Anime Movie Night's already a misleading title. Yeah, I mean, it is... You're going to the movies. You're going to a theater to watch this, so it is a movie night in that sense. Yeah, I guess, but it's it's not a movie. They lied. I want my money back. Why? By, you're get, you got to see three episodes of an amazing anime months before it's actually premiering. And yep. you didn't have to go to Anime Expo to do that. that like, is originally, true. these episodes premiered at Anime Expo. But thanks to this, like, widespread theatrical event, we could see it without having to pay inordinate amounts of money just to see it. But I wanted Wait to go to Anime night. Expo. Well, you know, from what I hear, Anime Expo is actually Pretty clustered. Yeah, it's very clustered. Lines are terrible. I mean, we're still going to go just to go. (laughs) But once in our lives. But it's like, you know, who is to say we would have been able to see this? That is a good point. Because this is one of the most anticipated shows, if not just the fall season, then the year. The year. I don't think we've actually said the title yet. Me haven't, but they know because they'll have clicked on the yeah, episode. The, the they'll know that we're going to be talking about the Ancient Magus' Bride. Yes, th- this episode's about the Ancient Magus' Bride. Yes. And we have not seen the OVAs that are on Country Roll. There are only two out of the three that are being made as of this recording. But that's okay because you can go into the show without seeing those OVAs, because those OVAs, I think, are just adapting a flashback of yeah. how she saves life before she met uh, the ancient Magus, whereas, you know, the show begins where the manga begins, from what I understand. Yeah. 
And basically, the premise of Andrew Magus's Bride is that this girl sells herself into slavery because she feels like no one wants her, and this, like, disgusting guy who guesses human a tra- human trafficker, he, like, finds her about to commit suicide by jumping off of a roof, and he's like, hey, if you think your life is worthless anyway, why not give it to someone else and be useful to them, which is disgusting, but she's so depressed and self-depreciating that she goes along with it, but luckily she gets bought by this skull-headed ancient wizard guy called Elias Einswort, who takes her, says that he's going to make her his apprentice, and they go back to England together. He saves her from duplicitous fairy elves who want to drag her into their world. Never trust a fairy. Navi's trying to fuck you over in Zelda, guys. Clearly. And, yeah, but the twist is he also intends to marry her, which is perhaps rather creepy because she's an underage girl and he's a hundreds of years old wizard. Yeah, I mean, it worked for Inuyasha and Kagome, so... Uh, I mean, but Inuyasha was mentally and physically 16, you know? I guess, I, I think yeah. Inuyasha also was... Because Inuyasha was sealed to that tree for 100 years, but I think he just grew up... He, he aged normally. Right? Yeah, I guess, because he doesn't look old, so, yeah. Never mind, then. Inuyasha Kagome's okay. Yeah, but uh, in this case, <laughs> this is like you're raising a girl to become your bride. I mean, is this isn't Usagi. You're making it sound like Usagi drop. This isn't like some infant. She's like... Yeah, she's... She's 16. like 17. Is it? Yeah, I, I suppose. So, yeah, and she's something called a slave baggy which is, like, a special magical person who draws, like, magical beings and events to her. Yeah, essentially they have high magical awareness. Yeah, so she can see a bunch of magical creatures and stuff and, you know, interact with them pretty normally. She has, like, a high magical output that's actually pretty, you know, unordinary for even, like, most magicians. So... You know, that's pretty interesting. As a character, I feel like she's a, the main heroine. She was very passive in a sense in these first three episodes because she was just being dragged along to various places. However, at the same time, she was incredibly sympathetic because how can you not sympathize with this poor girl who's just been so destroyed mentally by life and by how terrible her upbringing was? People saying that they don't want her own mother, saying that she never wanted her, and killing herself, like, in front of her eyes, jumping off a roof in front of her eyes. And when she was just a child, whoa, this is messed up stuff, man. Yeah. She said to not have a happy life. No, she did not. It's just, like, I don't even know if I want to watch those OVAs because <laughs> it's just going to be showing how awful Cheese's life before meeting Elias was, like, oh my god, I, I think I got enough of that from these flashbacks because, oh, jeez, the layers of trauma she has to have endured. Like, you can understand why she has this kind of, like, immediate, like, stock homey 
attachment to Elias <laughs> because he showed her just a modicum of kindness because no one treated her right Yeah, But in all fairness, Elias is also a genuinely good person. We don't know if he's being joking or t- being like genuine when he says that he wants to say to be his bride, but he is a good person. Like, he does look out for her and, you know, he is kind of a well-humored good person. He cares about her well-being. Yeah, he actually cares about her well-being. And uh luckily, through him, she also meets other people who care about her well-being. Like the blacksmith uh, woman, Angelica, and then the dragon guy. The dragon mag, I guess. Um... Yeah, Lindenbone. Yeah, so that's pretty cool that, you know, she's just finally making friends and finding people who value her, and that's nice. And she also kind of realizes, you know, she can do something for other people, you know, just because she's innately kind and empathetic. Mm. Like, for the elderly dragon, who, you know, is about to pass away. Like, she, you know, spends his final moments with him, and it's like, it's very touching, and, you know, they he shows her, like, the magical experiences he had in his youth, flying through the sky, and that third episode, I have to say, if that is not one of the best episodes of the year of just any anime episode, I would be surprised. Because what if is... it's the best episode's another Ancient Magus episode that we haven't seen yet? That could very well be the case. But, man, the emotions in that episode were just so strong. Like, Chise, like, envying, like, the elderly dragon for, like, you know, being on that store, like, wishing that she was dead. And it was, like, the elderly dragon telling her, no, do not wish for that. You have so much to live for. Let me show you the boundless possibilities that this world has to offer it takes her through the skies like oh my god this yeah. this show captures the mindset of a suicidally depressed person and like makes her so sympathetic and like endearing without feeling like pathetic and annoying like you know <clears throat> there's they, they could easily have made Chisei's character feel like too too depressed, but I think it's just a combination of just how tragic her character is, just makes how she feels so believable. And it's also the fact that she doesn't always complain yeah. about like the world sucking and her life being terrible. Like she's just very modest about everything, mm. and she just like she she doesn't think she deserves kindness or like happiness or anything. But like you know what Elias and what all the other people. Are probably going to show her like you know yeah you're you're worth it you're a worthwhile person who deserves to be happy it's just oh my god it just fills me with so much cathartic experiences yeah. and joy yeah it's, it's, emo- really it's nice. like one of the most emotionally powerful shows that I have seen in a long time like I I was thinking about this Sid, show Sid. all the time after we the car on the car ride home and then the days following it it was like oh my god so this reminded me that you still have to watch Brunch comes in like a line because that's like probably the most emotional thing <laughs> I've seen in a long time but this comes pretty close to March comes in like a line okay sure yeah. I'll watch that but yeah, I mean, I am seriously tempted to read the manga for this. Yeah, same. Like, from what I understand, this adapted the first three chapters, which, when you think about it, doesn't seem like a lot. Because these chapters are about 50 pages, I think. But yeah. from the way they presented it, from through the visuals and through the music that they used, like, it just 
works really well. It makes you immersed. It's not like, it's not some super fast pacing or anything, but you feel engaged while watching it, and that's the most important thing. Yeah, it feels well-paced. It doesn't feel like things are going to be slow. If anything, I was surprised by how fast everything went. Yeah. Because I was so engaged with it the feel, show. When you're watching it, it feels like it's going by really quickly. Yeah. Because you, you get so immersed, because it's just so well-presented. This is a very beautiful-looking yeah. show. Like, it's very well-polished, and it has just such a great atmosphere in its music. Like, the music is to capture such a great fantasy vibe. And this feels like such a magical world in the vein of a Harry Potter kind of thing that I just don't see in anime that often. Like, it definitely feels like that kind of story, this kind of great world building, like getting introduced to this new magical world and, like, how it exists within hidden behind the real world and then you have this great fantasy elements with dragons and all this other stuff that I'm sure will get introduced and explored deeper later on. You get concepts and new awesome mythology like with the sleigh baggie. You get some foreshadowing about like chasing on having long to live or something. It's like oh man, there's just so much going on in the show. Just three episodes in. It's just, it's not wasting your time. It's everything in this show is interesting, presented in a beautiful way. The colors are just gorgeous. The flying scene, again, if that is not one of the best scenes in anime this year, I don't know what is. Because the colors, the music, like, that was a spectacle. That was just beautiful. Ancient Magus' Bride is, like, Wit Studio's big production for this year, and you can tell that they're putting everything into it that they can. The show is just so good. Yeah, like, can, can it be October already, please? Just, just can we freeze ourselves to October like Cartman tried to do for that Wii? Maybe, you know, this freaking podcast, who knows? This this might come out after October. Yeah, it might. Oh. Uh, handling editing. We have so many of these episodes that aren't edited yet. Yeah, I'm sure everyone's getting annoyed by uh, listening to in every podcast that we talk about our backlog, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this director, uh, he seems to have worked on some... I don't know if he's a lot of these shows are necessarily beautiful, but he doesn't have actually that many directing credits. I think the only other couple of shows where he was, like, a chief director on was, like, Blood Sea, Hyokichi, and the Yoamushi Pedal movie. The director being Norihiro Naganuma, that, uh, to clarify. So, yeah, I'm not too familiar with the director's work, but he does some dang good stuff. Yeah. Uh, I can see why Crunchyroll, like, bid hard for this sh- to get the exclusive. They jumped on this early, like, really early. Like, yeah, they, they knew this would be something yeah. special. Which is good, I mean, that, that's what Crunchyroll's been doing for a lot of fall shows, especially after the whole strike taking all of summer thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, fall-wise, Crunchyroll's looking bright. You got Ancient Magus' Bride, especially. Wow, Jinichi Matsumoto, the guy who's doing music, doesn't seem to have done music to any other show before. Dang. He's had some random credits on some other shows, but, like, this seems to be his first music credit, which is insane. Wow, there's, like, new talent on this show, and it's, like, incredibly fresh. Maybe that's part of the reason why it feels so distinct. It's, like, you've got this new talent coming in. It feels a lot different from previous Witch shows, for sure. Yeah, the, I, I like this. It's great. Ancient Magus' Bride is probably going to be the best episode of the fall season. The best series of the fall yeah. season. Yeah. 
I mean, Kino's Journey said. Yeah, I Kino's mean, Journey. Kino's Journey, that's right. That's it's going to save anime. It probably will. No, <laughs> I don't know. Angel <laughs> Magus' Ride might be the one that saved anime, actually. I don't know. I, uh, who knows? Who knows? Well, at the, at, at the very least, it's on Crunchyroll, so, so people watch actually it, yeah. watch it on, like, the anime strike shows. Poor Welcome to the Ballroom. But yeah, I mean, fall season's looking good. Yeah, I mean, me highly recommend this show if you're not already watching it already. But guess we'll move on to the next thing that we'll be talking about in this episode. Oh yeah, we didn't talk about uh, Children of Ether. Oh, that's right. We should uh, talk about that before we move on. Yeah, so the LaShawn Thomas uh, short that he's been making with Crunchyroll, Children of Ether. Finally, the pilot for that came out and they bundled that in with uh, Ancient Mangus' Bride. So... We got to see that before, you know, actually seeing Angel Maze of Bride, and uh, I yeah. thought it was pretty cool. Uh, I feel like some of the voice acting was a little wonky, especially for the kid characters, but otherwise, I think it has an interesting setup. It's cool to see such diversity in an anime co-production. Yeah. Mean, what's really inspiring to me is just the fact that it's a global production, because you got guys from, like, all around the world working on this thing. Yeah, if you if you look at the credits, because this episode's on Crunchyroll now, already it came out, I think, the day after movie night, they uploaded the pilot to yeah. Crunchyroll. So if you look at the credits there, it's people from all over, U.S., Korea, Japan, France. It's stunning that LaShawn got all these people together. Yeah, and there's some really cool cuts of animation in this episode. Yeah. But I think the backgrounds are the most beautiful thing in this episode, in this, like, series, because it's like, there's, there's some stunning background art in here that I was, like, really floored by. Yeah, I mean, plot-wise, I, um, there's not much is hard to gr- yeah. grasp onto, because the main girl apparently killed her father, and then she's some sort of special thing, and that has some connotations, Yeah, uh, and she's looking for someone called a goat who will uh, give her the answers. Yeah, yeah. literally, the, guy, the person is called the goat, the greatest of all time, which is... <laughs> Oh, it's pretty great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, plot-wise, like, they don't go too deep into it in this, because I, th- I think for this, they're mainly trying to showcase the setting, the animation, and then the o- just the overall, I guess, feel and tone of the show. Yeah. Or, well, the, yeah. This is, so, this is a pilot. It's like yeah, it, to pitch. It's a pilot, uh, so that yeah, that's the purpose of pilot. The future like full leg series. And yeah, you know, hopefully this response to this has been good enough that it'll get like a full leg. Yeah, I mean, Lashawn already got greenlit. Uh, yeah, he already Cannon got Busters Cannon Busters on Netflix. on Netflix, which I think is animated by Satellite or something. But yeah, like I'm totally pumped for that because yeah, that's gonna look great. I think. I wonder if that's going to interfere with children and ether getting uh, continued to be developed. Maybe I don't know. I think I think it's a similar team that's working on Children of Ether. Mm-hmm. So if they have time to switch between that and Children of Ether, kind of busters and Children of Ether for Crunchyroll, I think it could work. But we'll have to see. I mean, I'm sure Lashawn wants to do more of Children of Ether, yeah. but I think Cannabusters is probably going to be the priority for now, since. That's what Netflix is producing, and they're probably banking a ton of money on that. But I'm, it's good to see them take a chance on it, because that is a project that I'm really excited to see finally get made into a full-length project. Yeah, like, I, when was that Kickstarter? That Kickstarter for Cannon Busters was like two or three years ago, I think, at this point. Yeah. It's been a while. Well, you, you finally got it 
greenlit for a production. Yeah. I guess let's close off by talking about the theater experience since we forgot neglected <laughs> to do that. Cause I was yeah, so, didn't we used to yeah. do these theater experiences at the beginning? Yeah, the, the whole point was to start off with that. But I, yeah. I just got so excited, so enthusiastic about being Jamaicans that I just jumped right in. But yeah, theater experience, uh, it was decent. Uh, you know, the most interesting thing is that we went to see this movie at what what's the brand of the uh, Mark Marcus Cinema? Yeah, these Marcus Cinema theaters uh, in Minnesota, right? So they uh, they show local commercials before they start the movie, you know. So we we see a bunch of these really poorly made, oftentimes commercials for all these local businesses. There was like this one commercial for like this auto car repair shop or whatever that was just still images and like the worst voice recording <laughs> I have ever heard. Like it sounded like this guy was just speaking into his laptop computer's microphone, just not editing and filtering anything out. Because there were, like, breathing noises, they were, like, clipping, it was like, whoa, how does, how do you get this made and how um, approved without anyone coming in and saying, hey, dude, here's how we can uh, fix that up and make it a, a sound a little better, hey, you know? Hey, dude, this sounds like shit. Yeah, so there are a lot of bad or weird commercials, like this commercial for, like, this doctor's office for kids that was, like, had this really high-quality camera and was just showing, like, kids performing sports or whatever, and the tagline was, like, now seeing daredevils or superheroes or whatever. It, it just it didn't make sense to me. Like, what, what does this have to relate to, like, your practice, like, these shots of these kids in slow motion in this really high-quality camera. Maybe they didn't even take that footage. Maybe they just found stock footage. Maybe? Oh, that would be embarrassingly hilarious. Uh, Yeah, so the the most memorable part about that theater to me is just the fact that they play local commercials that are just oftentimes (laughs) incredibly strange and hilarious. And also the fact that it just went on forever because it took like 20 minutes for the movie to actually start after the intended showtime. Yeah, because it was supposed to start at 7, but it didn't actually start until 7.20. So we just got incessant commercial after commercial and apparently this is like their equivalent of the pre-show thing. They think this is entertainment. You're seeing commercials. You know, at least at AMC, you actually get a cool thing in their first look. You actually get, like, behind-the-scenes info on cool new TV shows and movies. <laughs> With this, you just get local commercials, often the same ones again and again, yeah. and it just goes on forever. The movie doesn't even start on time. So, these market cinemas, uh, they, uh, they aren't great. I don't highly recommend these, uh, these cinemas, except the fact that they're kind of the only ones that uh, play these movies. They're, I don't know, like, aside from the pre-shows, like, the theater themselves are good. I mean, they have good seating. Yeah. And nice theater arrangements. And you can eat food in the theater. Yeah, it's time. pretty nice. But yeah. The crowd we were seeing in wet, it was a little more eclectic than I, I thought. Oh, you know, one funny crowd thing was I offhandedly mentioned to Wee Lord that that night was actually going to be the night where the supposedly the last Fairy Odd Parents episode was going to air on Nicktoons. And, like, the couple next to me, like, just started giggling. Just like, what? Oh, man, that's a blast from the past. Or something, like, to that effect. So that was kind of a 
funny thing that, that happened. <laughs> it's like shared bewilderment that A, Fairy Godparents is still going, and B, like, if it's just randomly a- ending, you know, ending on that same night. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was, uh, that was fun. Um, it was a pretty sparse crowd, I guess, but one thing I noticed was, uh, in the row in front of us, there was a couple, and, like, one girl in the couple, like, uh, she brought, like, the actual Agent Max's Bride manga with her. And while the movie was playing, she was, like, flipping through the pages and comparing the anime to the manga scenes. Which I thought, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and so that's how you know that uh, it only adapted the first two chapters. Well, after we got out of the theater, like, I think they were talking, like, she and, like, her boyfriend or whatever were talking to each other, and, uh, she was mentioning, yeah, this was, like, the first three chapters. Yeah, so I think with the show, I guess you can expect the chapter episode pacing for the most part. Yeah. And otherwise, the crowd, there were actually families in the crowd, there were kids. Yeah, there was, like, a group of, uh... Children and like their m- mom, I think, or yeah, because and as we were exiting the theater, I noticed that one of the kids, and he had to be like a ten year old, he looked really young, who was talking with the other kids, explaining to them <laughs> that this was just the first three episodes, and the show is going to premiere later. So yeah, there uh, there's some pretty savvy kids, the future weebs of America. Yeah, the fellow otaku out there, the future seems to be in good hands. We have little kids getting in the anime who seem to know their stuff, who seem to know what's they're happening. reading the manga. They're reading the manga. They're watching Crunchyroll. Heck, some of them might even be paying for anime strike. Maybe? Probably not. No, they're all, they're all probably pirating. Who is paying for anime strike? They're all probably pirating. I only know, like, one other person besides myself who has anime strike. Yeah, who's that? Jekka. Oh. Yeah. See, no one we know... In our no, no one, I, no one I interact with in real life actually. Does anyone we interact with in like outside the internet have any of the legal services? No, they all mooch off of us. They all mooch off of us. They, some of them have Netflix, but that's kind of it. Doko Shy uses a Crunchyroll, but he doesn't have a premium account. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, so. Maybe the future isn't in the best of hands after all. Maybe uh, well, at least in our at least in our friend group, no, no, not not evidenced by uh by our peers. But yeah, you know, at least kids are getting into anime and they they they're aware of how the animes work and uh, how seasonal anime works and like uh, all that stuff. And they're going out to these Crunchyroll movie nights, and that's pretty cool. Yeah. Especially all movie nights are pretty cool. I'm enjoying them so far. We're two for two of good movie nights. I wonder what the fall one's gonna be. I don't know. Uh, Maybe Card Captor. Maybe. That'd be cool. I mean, it's probably far enough in production, considering they previewed it at a Anime Expo. That is probably true. Of course, we don't even know who has it yet, so that's probably jumping the gun. We'll see, I suppose. Anime Strike's gonna get Card Captor. Oh boy! I mean, they might get seven deadly sins because apparently that's animeism, and they have that deal with them now. Well, that's the subject for another podcast. I think we said everything we needed to say about Antimagus's Bride and our experiences. Yeah. Unless you had something else to add before we close this off in the next thing. No, not really. It's just that I have another show to be excited for in the fall, which is good. Yeah, definitely. Fall's gonna be amazing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more of the show and. 
maybe checking out the manga. Maybe we'll have yeah. a manga map. Go support the manga. It's released by Seven Seas. Good for you, Seven Seas. Good for you. Seven Seas is a good company. They really are. Manga Mavericks at Movies, the show where we celebrate and talk smack about movies. I'm Loma Miyasha. And I'm Vilar GTZ. And today we're going to talk about the latest Lupin the Turd flick, Lupin the Turd, Goemon Ishikawa Spray of Blood. Yup, and this was a pretty interesting one, I think. Yeah, it's a rare occasion for Goemon to be the central focus of a Lupin flick, though it's debatable whether he really was. I mean, uh, he sort of was for, like, half of the time. Regardless, it was cool to be back in the Koike Lupinverse again. It's yeah. been three years since Daisuke Jigen's Spray of Blood continued the story of the woman called Fujiko Mine TV series. Wait, it's been three years? Yeah. Jesus. Daisuke Jigen's Gravestone came out in 2014. That so. feels like a very long time ago. Yeah, so it's great oh, to get God. back to the Koikeverse and see what's going on, though this didn't really advance the plot of the verse it that felt much. Like, it felt like setup. Setup for something bigger. Basically, this movie explains how Goemon becomes part of Lupin's crew yeah. in the Koikeverse. Or I guess the Fujikoverse? Fujikoverse. I guess Koike didn't direct the TV series. Yeah, but he was, he was still the animation director and the character designer, though, so. Yeah. But at the same time, they still use the Koike designs for part four, so uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. They didn't really. I, I don't. They don't still listen with character designer or no? No Koike. Okay. Hashtag Varun was wrong. Yeah, Varun is wrong as always. But yeah, so great to see more Koike Lupin. Love that the aesthetic he has. And his action direction is unparalleled. Yeah. And it's always clear that he has a penchant for some racing scenes, as there are quite a few of those in this movie. He really likes his car scenes for some reason. Well, no surprise from the director of Redliner, yeah. right? He still has Redliner on the brain after all these years. Mm. Would you like to explain what the plot of this film was, We Lord? So essentially, it starts off with Goemon working for a Yakuza group. So, pretty much, he's hired as a bodyguard for this kind of, uh, Yakuza clan. But, unbeknownst to him, there's an all-American woodsman assassin out for Lupin, Jigen, and Fujiko's heads. And Lupin, Jigen, and Fujiko just happen to be on the ship that the Yakuza clan is on, trying to steal some stuff. So, the guy attacks them, and kind of destroys the ship, kills the leader of the clan, and... Pretty much the entire clan blames Goemon for the incident. So go it's up to Goemon to go hold up his honor by killing this all-American woods. Yeah, this mob clan, though, mostly puts Goemon 
at blame because of resentment and jealousy. Because the boss of the clan, valued Gorman's skills yeah. way higher than theirs. And they basically left their boss to die. <laughs> like, when the ship after, like, at one point, like, the fucking ship that they're on is burning down. And, like, some f- pipes or something drop down onto the boss. And even though his bodyguards are right there, the p- name he calls out is like, Goemon, Goemon, where are you? Help me. And they're like, oh, Goemon. So that's who you want. Come on, guys, let's just leave this piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, it's clear that they're the villains. They were jealous. Like, they're pl- they were planning to betray Goemon, whether or not yeah. he succeeded in taking out Hawk, who's the name of the old yeah. American uh, yeah, axe-wielding yeah. killer guy, yeah. who's obsessed with chopping down Lupin and turning him to compost. <laughs> he really likes turning things to the compost, really, because he constantly says it. Yeah, I guess that's some reference, some stereotype of uh, Americans, or, like, woodsmen-like... Americans? I'm not really sure. I, I mean, the... one thing though is that Hawk is just like a super stereotypical American. There's this one scene where he's eating a bunch of ribs and he's just going at it yeah. like an animal and he's slurping his fingers. It's it's disgusting. It's really but funny it's though. 100% American. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Aside from that, there's not like a ton of plot in this. Essentially, Goemon fights Hawk, he loses. And then he pretty much goes into, like, training for a few days to, like, enhance his senses. And pretty much then he goes back to the clan, defends himself when they try to betray him, and then he goes and fights Hawk in a rematch. Yeah. And that's essentially the entire story right there. We really don't get much of a sense of what Hawk really wanted. Yeah, Aside so, from I, killing I, Lupin, they yeah. nickname him the Bermuda Ghost, but we don't really get an explanation why he got that nickname at all. Uh, they mentioned that he he worked in the military, and like while he was in Bermuda, he killed a ton of people. I guess that yeah. was the explanation. But, like, we never get, like, who hired him to kill Lupin and the gang. Yeah. Throughout this one, they keep dropping hints that Mamo was involved in this, that Mamo... Like, for context, like, Hawk is supposed to be dead, apparently. Uh-huh. And Lupin, the police think Lupin and Fuchiko and Jigen have also died. Right. Because they found some gravestones. So, it's implied that Mamo was somehow involved in, like, orchestrating fake deaths for all these people. So, what I'm thinking is that maybe Mamo hired Hawk to kill Lupin, Fujiko, and Jigen. That's a very real possibility, and it would make sense, considering the cliffhanger of Daisuke Jigen's gravestone. Yeah. But we don't get an actual appearance from Mamo in this film. Yeah. And it, I'm just hoping that, you know, in the next installment, we get some more development on that front of, like, what's Mamo's big endgame here? Yeah, it definitely seems like Koike is leading up to some sort of interpretation of his own of the mystery of Mamo. Which would be cool. Yeah, it would be cool. I would like to see a remake of that movie in Koike cool. style. Yeah, it's probably not going to be like a... Not an exact a by remake. By the books remake, it's probably going to be different, but it's yeah. going to have Mamos. It's going to have Mamos to that. Yeah. Koike's will definitely be a lot more gory and bloody. For one yes. And that, that's one thing to note about this. This film is bloody. Like, uh, yeah, it is probably one of the most violent Lupin the Third things that yeah. I have ever seen. It's safe to say Koike's interpretation of Lupin is probably the most, I guess, 
gritty in terms of violence. Yeah. But yeah, like, Goemon cuts off so many hands in this. <laughs> yeah. Like, the climax of the film, like, how he wins his fight with Hawk, he said he cuts off his arm, but he sacrifices, like, a huge yeah, chunk like of his shoulder, and you see the oh fucking muscle in his shoulder. It's, yeah. like, all exposed. It's, like, dang. And, yeah. like, Lubon at one point gets, like, a steak stab right through his hand. Surprisingly, he doesn't react, like, too badly to it. He's like, oh, steak in my hand. I can't move this now. <laughs> it's like, what? Oh, just another Sunday stab for me. It's all good. Yeah, this is uh, extremely violent, which, depending on your taste, is either going to make or break this film, maybe. Yeah. Like, because there isn't much yeah. going on in the film outside of the violence. See, my biggest problem with the film, I enjoyed it, but my biggest problem with the film is that, you know, this film, by the title, promised, like, a Goemon-focused adventure. Except it's not even solely focused on Goemon. Yes, but yeah. me more importantly, it doesn't really give us much insight into the character of Goemon outside of he's an honorable samurai. That's yeah. it, really. That's his character arc. He's honorable. How he wins his fight against Taka is that he, like, finds some sort of inner peace or becomes he, one? He, all the training he was doing, like, they have this, like, whole, I guess, not really a montage, but kind of, like, several scenes where you see him, like, training in these different areas, and, like, him, like, hurting himself beyond belief. Lupin explains later that this is all so that he can raise his senses to their, like, maximum potency so that his reaction time has, like, no, like, lag to it. And also just, like, awakening kind of the sixth sense of just instinct. Like, yeah. him being able to, like, based on how Hawk is moving, adjust his own movements and counter. I mean, it wasn't made very clear, so Luan yeah. had to explain it. But Because uh, <laughs> Jigen was definitely confused. Yeah, I, I think as yeah. the audience was. But it's cool, it's definitely cool, but like, there's not a whole lot of substance to this film. One thing that also was kind of sad is that Fujiko kind of just rage quits partway through. Yeah, Fujiko doesn't really have much yeah. of a point in this film, just... Like, Goemon just goes training, she, she's just like, what's about doing? And then Lupin's like, Oh, he's training to be a true man. And Fujiko's like, yeah, screw this, I'm out of here. Go have fun killing this guy. <laughs> like, uh, there's just one memorable scene with Fujiko where, like, Lupin's even in her background, and the way it's framed <laughs> is that at first you would think she's having sex. But, yeah. you know, that's basically the extent of what Fujiko is used for. Oh, Fan service and sexual innuendo. Poor Lupin, he's never going to get that Fujiko. Even Zenigata got it there already. Yeah, I mean, even the previous film, she kind of was just exploited and really didn't do that much. On the bright side, this film didn't get rapey with Fujiko like the last one did. That was sure. a relief, for yeah, sure. Yeah, that was my big concern. Yeah, but it's yeah. kind of a shame. This is the Fujiko-verse, yeah. and uh, she hasn't had anything to do with these last few films, really. Especially with how, like, the woman called Fujiko Mine depicts Fujiko as such a strong, independent character. Like... Jigen's Graves especially didn't give her any justice in that front, but in Go in Goemon's film, like, she just doesn't do anything. Yeah. Like, she helps rob the bank at the beginning of the film, and then that's kind of it. Yeah, that's the extent of it. Yeah. But that's, I think, a big problem. I kind of wish Sayo Yamamoto would be continuing this, like, 
kind of storyline in this universe. But at the same time, I, I like Koike's interpretation, even though if we were to go through, like, the traditional Lupin, Sally Yamamoto's, and Koike's, Koike's is probably my least favorite Lupin interpretation. I mean, yeah, just because he's about spectacle over substance, right? Yeah, like, car chases, gory action, all that stuff. Which is yeah. really cool. And you don't need Lupin to have, like, a deep, complex story for it to be entertaining. Right. But, I don't know. Like, after part four and the woman called Fujikomine, it just kind of feels like we're going backwards in yeah. terms of quality. Maybe there'd be more that he could do if he was given a TV series. I'd love yeah. to see a co- that, that's what I, that would, That's what I think would be cool. Like... If the next thing is Malmo and not, like, maybe a Zenigata film... Yeah. It'd be a TV series where they have to face off against Mama. Yeah, like a 13-episode yeah. series where it's all this one mystery and Mama's behind it. That'd be cool. Yeah, be I, into I that. think that would be cool, for sure. But yeah, I'm not sure where Quick is going to go next with this. Who knows how, when he'll return to this. For all we know, it's going to be 2020. Yeah, I guess the next film, since... This universe started off with something focused on Fujiko, and then we got Jigen, now Goemon. I guess the next film will be Zenigata. Yeah, and I think that that could definitely be an interesting film, because if you remember at the end of the one called Fujiko Mine, Oscar goes missing. He's MIA. Yeah. What if the film is about Zenigata having to hunt down Oscar? Like, Oscar's going against some sort of, like, serial killer spree, or, like, he's, like, wrecking havoc somewhere, and Zenigata's the one who has to... Stop it. I would love to see closure for Zenigata and Oscar's relationship. Yeah, that, that sure. would be cool. Yeah. And maybe a Zenigata-focused film could finally see the introduction of Melon Cop? No, no, it's not going to happen, Sid. I want to see Melon Cop animated. He was fun. It's not going to happen, Sid. Uh, also, is a Melon Cop essentially Oscar? I mean, I make that joke, but they're not really that somewhere. Okay, fair enough. I still have to read the Lupin manga. Yeah. But yeah, I'm looking forward to what Koike does next with Lupin. I mean, this film's a good time, but it's not, like, the best Lupin we've had recently. Like, it yeah. did, it, I can't say it lived up to the hype I kind of had for it, just because, you know, Goemon-focused Lupin film. Oh, man, that could do so much with the character and cool I mean, samurai stuff. I mean, I wasn't expecting too much from the film, because I was expecting it to be, like, Jigen's Gravestone, like, a short... 50-minute kind of feature film where it's just going to focus on Goemon, and it kind of didn't live up to the Goemon part of it, because it was not, like, super about Goemon. Like, part of it was about Goemon training, the other part's about Lupin trying to get stuff to get Hawk to fight Goemon again, and talking to Zenigata, and, like, all the Mamo hit drops and stuff. Mm -hmm. But, like, overall, I I liked it. I mean, just probably doesn't help that Lupin Part 4... Just came out like 2015, and that's still fresh in our minds, and that was so good that going to this interpretation of Lupin just feels like a downgrade. I'm sure Goike actually is going to continue this. He's already dropped so many hints in these films that there's going to be more, so. Yeah. I mean, I hope it doesn't take three years to get more, but. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. My whole, as long as we have some Lupin content between them, I'm like, fine. That's true. Give it us didn't... Lupin Part 5 or Fujiko Mine. Two or something. That's true. It didn't feel like it's been a long time just because yeah. we did have part four just recently. Yeah. I remember when Jiggy's Gravestone came out, people thought that was going to be what part four was going to be like. 
And I'm kind of glad it didn't end up being that. As much as I like Koike's interpretation, I'm not sure if that's the interpretation Lupin should be using 100% going forward. I mean, for one thing, it's not a family-friendly interpretation. Exactly. That's one thing. And Lupin is a family-friendly franchise for the most part. Yeah. So these more adult takes on Lupin. You know, they're fun and have them aside, but... You can't lose sight of the fact that Lupin, Lupin is supposed is to be in all ages. Yeah. yeah. And we can have our beautiful, flawless gems like Fujiko Mine out there, but, yeah. but we can't have that be the entire franchise. Yeah. Why would we want to rob the fun out of Lupin? I mean, I, I not, to say that, most... not to say the Koike stuff isn't fun. It's a different kind of fun. Well, Sid, so let me ask you a question here. Would you rather have Lupin Part 5 along the lines of... Lupin Part 4, or would you have Sayo Yamamoto do all of the Lupin franchise from now on? Those both sound like good options. I don't know. <laughs> but which is better, Sid? It's a hard choice because Fujiko Mine is my favorite Lupin series. Okay, so then they answer Sayo Yamamoto then. But Part 4 <laughs> is what I think is the best encapsulation of what Lupin is. Okay, yeah, that, that's actually true. That's kind of the thing, though. I, I love Fujiko Mine. It's also my favorite Lupin series. But at the same time, I have trouble recommending it to people because not everyone's going to like it. Well, part four, on the other hand, which is probably my favorite traditional Lupin part, I can recommend that to everyone. I feel that it's like super open and super accessible. Where Fujiko Mine, it's for a specific crowd of people and a specific kind of people who want that type of entertainment. So I think they serve like two very different purposes within the franchise. But I'm glad they both exist. Yeah, I'm just glad to have different Lupin interpretations. Yeah. And even though it was definitely flawed, I'm definitely glad this film was made. Yeah. Only to introduce the character of Hawk and that <laughs> fight between Goemon and him because, oh man. Oh, I, 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 showed, I showed a gif of the part where Goemon gets his skin cut off by Hawk and Hawk's arms cut off. And my friend's just like, when did Lupin get so violent? I thought this was supposed to be fun thievery. <laughs> but do we have anything else to say about this film? I don't think so. I mean, it was a 50-minute film. There's not a ton to talk about, especially with it mainly just being a lot of really cool animation se- animation and action scenes. One thing you can always count on Koike for is a really cool car chase or some sort of vehicle scenes. And he still did those in this. That was cool. Yeah, this was a cool film. I hope that Discotech will license and release it at some point. Oh, I'm sure they will. I'm sure TMS is going to dub it like they've done for Part 4 and Jigen's Gravestone. That'll be nice. But that's one thing I'm really happy about TMS is that TMS, I think, really wants Lupin to succeed over here, which is really happy to see. You don't see a lot of, uh, I feel, Japanese production studios actively trying to push their products the way TMS does for Lupin, I feel. Literally producing the dub themselves. Yeah. Which is nice to see. It is. Who knows? Maybe one day we might see this on Toonami or something. Maybe? I don't know. It's possible. Yeah. I'd say we're more likely to see an eventual Lupin Part 5 than this. I wouldn't be opposed to being on Toonami. Yeah. Well, anyway, I think that about does it for this discussion. 
This has been Manga Merrick's At Movies Episode 9, talking about The Ancient Magus' Bride and Lupin the Third, The Blood Spray of Goemon Ishikawa. Hope you enjoyed it. You can find WeLordGTC at WeLordGTC on Twitter and my anime list. And you can find me as Lone Ramiyasha on Twitter, my anime list, Animation Revelation. Basically anywhere that you see the name Lone Ramiyasha, assume it's me, that's where I am. For the show, you can find Manga Mavericks on Twitter at Manga underscore Mavericks. And on Tumblr at MangaMavericks.tumblr.com. And on iTunes and YouTube under Manga Mavericks. Please like, rate, reviews subscribe to our content on there it help, really helps the channel grow you can find our podcast first on alldcomic.com and you can follow the site at all-comic on twitter hope to see you guys again for the next manga mavericks ad movies whether it be a compilation of these old episodes that I recorded and never released or we talk about a current movie I don't know which it'll be but I guess you'll just have to find out next week. Until then, sayonara! Say the bunnies And pops a steam from singing cattles in the trees Red butterflies It's fourteen nice who like to make a meal of time Life is clockwork, quick, light being slow, faster on your toes. So, eat the sugar tree, and taste the day before it runs.